The following program was previously broadcast. Welcome to the Lion's Den University Report. This program brings you a behind-the-scenes look at the spiritual life on today's university and college campuses. Now here's your host, Glenn Bailey. We're in North Carolina right now, actually at a conference on apologetics. Uh, but uh, one of the speakers here is Dr. John Sanford, who has... Uh, uh, been a professor at Cornell University and a researcher uh, previously into plant genetics and now in uh, human genetics. And uh, he's uh, speaking on a subject that he's written on. Uh, one of his books is Genetic Entropy and uh, some really cutting-edge uh, research. And we want to talk about that. In our previous uh, conversation, we talked about how you came to faith in Christ from atheism, you and your wife both, about the same time, and began to grow in that faith and uh, uh, learn more about uh, who Jesus is and following Him, uh, and uh, uh, how did that affect your uh, view of your being a professor at a university where evolution is king almost? Mm-hmm. So uh, after I became a Christian, uh, mid-career, mid-life, um, it, it was um, awkward for me at the university because I was actually afraid to tell people that I was a Christian. I was very distinctly afraid, and I I sense that uh, in the years since in others. I see there's a general fear among Christians to come out of the closet, so to speak. Right. And so, as a consequence, Christian professors and Christian students tend to be silent, and so people don't realize how many Christians are on campus. Um, And so, but in that state of isolation, the Christians become very weak. And so, and they and they become almost. Well, some of them would just drift away from their faith because they don't because there's no um, fellowship, and they're um, trying to stand on their own. So right. it's not a good place to be. Um, and that's one of the reasons we have our program. Is uh, our primary um, mission is to present the gospel of Jesus Christ, but then secondarily to network believers on the campuses mm-hmm. who do feel isolated, who do feel many of them like they're going into the lion's den as Daniel did. Right. And, uh, it, it, it actually it is a lion's den for students and faculty, and it was for me. And I wasn't brave like Daniel. Um, and so for a long time, I was a very compromised, weak Christian, kind of wanted to hide my Christianity uh, in the workplace. And so one of the things that I, one of the reasons I was so intimidated was there are lots of hard questions that I could not answer. And I just lived in fear that people would ask me these hard questions and that I would just, you know, have nothing intelligent to say except, you know, stammering and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Sure. And so I was, I, I, I'd say I was saved, but not very fruitful for about 10 years. I was a, a theistic evolutionist, and I was, you know, I had been totally, totally uh, uh, committed to a Darwinian perspective before I was saved. And then once I was saved, I was then captive to it. I, 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 was, I, I feel it was a type of bondage. It was a mental bondage. What I thought was unequivocally and provably true, um, I now realize is um, actually can't even be defended. It's, mm. it's, not, it's not even conceivable right. that you can create a, a human mind or a human soul or a human being through any type of um, trial and error process such as mutation selection. But at that time, I, was, um, I just felt, well, the science proves evolution, so I I'm, I'm needed to, to ignore those parts of Scripture that 
seem to conflict with evolution, and I need to um, just be very understated. My, it's a private faith, and um, I'm not going to try to defend it. So I was in that place for um, a long time. Eventually, I, I, as we, help, help my wife and I uh, eventually um, switched churches and went to a more conservative church where they actually uh, take the word of the uh, the word of God seriously. Right. And in that environment, people uh, number one, we were greatly encouraged, and number two, uh, people started to challenge my my evolutionary perspective. I see. And uh, at what I, it seemed like child's play to defend it initially, as I. Uh, encountered uh, the hard questions on the other side, I realized, uh, actually, there's a lot of weaknesses, a lot of uh, chinks in the armor, the way, the way I was thinking about it, that I hadn't been aware of. And I thought, why didn't I think about that before? Uh, and it's because I wasn't, when I was an evolutionist, I would never critically examine what I believed. Mm. I believed Isn't it that right? uh, because I had been indoctrinated in it, yeah. and I never critically examined, well, does that follow? Is that logical? Is that is that really um, demonstrable? And so um, that was really an exciting time, but it was also very painful because I remember sitting in my living room uh, with a pile of books on my left-hand side, which were evolutionary books, textbooks, famous books by Stephen Jay Gould and other people, and, and a pile of books uh, on my right, which were had a biblical, biblical perspective and mm -hmm. with a design, you know, there's design or, or that there was a miraculous creation. And I, I remember thinking, this is, this is driving me crazy. There's, mm. Both sides have, are making good arguments. And, right. And this side has more human authority, but this side are my brethren in Christ, and they're actually coming from a biblical point of view, which is what I'm committed to. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember making a decision at that point. I said, okay, the science, uh, the science seems ambiguous to me, but I know which side I'm on spiritually. Right. And I said, I'm, I'm, going, with this, I'm going this way. I'm going with the biblical view, even if it makes me a fool in the eyes of the world. That mm. was a very deliberate decision. Yeah, and, and that's, that's a good. Not, it's a, yeah, that's not uh, um, uh, making an extreme point. I mean, uh, you are thought to be foolish by by a vast majority of the scientific community when you take a different position. Yeah, and for and for people on campus who are feeling the fear of man, I actually encourage them. Um, yeah, be a fool for Christ because. Uh, it's a small price to pay, and you know it's only your pride. And Christ promises us that if we follow Him, he, we will be despised and slandered and mocked. And so it's actually um, it's it's part of the cost of following Christ. And it's um, what you realize when when you risk being a fool for Christ. The perspective, the biblical perspective, is very coherent, very rational. And that, in fact, when you critically examine the evolutionary perspective, the godless perspective, it is empty. It's, it, and uh, so in the last 10 years, remember I said I made a decision? I said, I, right. I'll be a fool for Christ. Mm -hmm. in, sure. the, in, in the 10 years subsequent to that, my own research has been very fruitful. Mm. And I have um, uncovered really powerful evidences that show that Darwin was wrong. And that while natural selection happens, it can't do type of things that people imagine. 
Right. So it's, you didn't stop doing science. You didn't think, so, well, the science is irrelevant now because you're a Christian. You're saying there's a different perspective right. on, on your work. So I remember um, about 13 years ago, I said, okay, I'm done with science. I'm just going to work full time for uh, Christian ministry. I'm just going to follow Christ. And the, <laughs> very quickly, I find myself back doing science full time, you know, thinking about it day and night. Uh, but now with a totally radically different perspective with the view that uh, I want to use my science to affirm scripture. And that's what it's doing is good science affirms scripture. And uh, so I'm part of a, a group of scientists called Logos Research Associates. And that's our motto, good science affirms scripture. And we have geologists and physicists and mathematicians and people like myself who are geneticists, people from every walk of science and we're actively engaged in original scientific research that, con it, that consistently is showing to ourselves and others the good science affirms scripture. It's just really exciting. Right. And it's not a well-known uh, group. Uh, say the name of it again, and is there a website or some way people could contact uh, yeah, the organization? Yeah. It's Logos Research Associates. Mm -hmm. And so LogosResearchAssociates.com is, if you Google it, it'll come right up. And so um, we're a network of scientists, uh, mostly in the United States, but other nations as well. And we're, we're involved in uh, not just um, apologetics, but actual cutting-edge research. So uh, a number of us are, are publishing papers in secular journals. And, uh, and if not, we're publishing papers in, if we can't get published in the secular journals because we're too politically incorrect, um, we publish in other venues. But the, the most exciting publication is this new book, Biological Information, New Perspectives. That's uh, the result of a symposium at Cornell University that was held three years ago. And it, the proceedings have just been published. And it is a milestone book in terms of um, changing our understanding of, number one, what life is, and number two, how it arose. And 29 highly credentialed scientists contributed to it, representing diverse philosophical perspectives. They represented uh, fields, for every, every discipline you could think of, from uh, mathematics to physics to biophysics to genetics to molecular biology to cell biology to evolutionary biology and information theory and um, computer science and numerical simulation. And those 29 scientists um, even though they're very diverse in their fields and very diverse in their philosophies, all came to the same conclusion. And that was that biological information is unbelievably profound, vastly superior to any information technology developed by man. Right. And number two, it can't develop through any trial and error process. Mm. You can't get Which these, is what evolution teaches. Yeah, evolution requires that mutations, misspellings in the book basically, plus selective choice of text uh, can create information. And all, that, all of these scientists said, based upon their different types of analysis from different disciplines, they all said, you can't do that. You can't create computers and, and computer technology through trial and error, and basically that's what's happening. A cell has within it um, executable programs, it has hardware and software, and there's all the different components of a cell communicate. It's very much like an internet system within a cell. And those communication systems, those information networks, 
cannot be established by any other mechanism but design. Right, and uh, your particular emphasis has been on human genetics, and we have about three more minutes on our uh, yeah. interview. I wonder if we could talk a little bit ab about that, how uh, that uh, in the, at the genetic level, the direction of life is toward uh, destruction and right. toward, toward right. death rather than toward improvement and new uh, information. Right, so I've spent the last 10 years looking at the problem of what I call genetic entropy, which is basically uh, there's a, a really serious problem with evolutionary theory, and that is that most mutations are deleterious. Misspelling errors in a textbook are deleterious with almost universally. And natural selection is very limited in what it can do. It can only select away mutations that have a very significant deleterious effect, and it can only amplify mutations that have a very significant beneficial effect. But most mutations are nearly neutral. That is, they are, have an infinitesimally small effect, like rust on your car. When a single uh, iron atom oxidizes, you can't see it, you can't measure it, but it's still destroying the car. The genome is rusting out because of these slightly deleterious mutations that cannot respond to selection. So it's going down, not up. And that really is biblical because since the fall we know that we are dying people in a dying world. And my studies affirm that. And what, it, what the good news is that um, uh, our hope is in Christ and a new and incorruptible body in heaven. That's, that's, the, that's the promise of Christ. And uh, it's, um, it's really the only sound hope that humanity has. Uh, my guest, uh, Dr. John Sanford uh, from Cornell University and involved in the human genome research and a strong uh, Christian follower of Jesus Christ. And we're glad to have you with us on the Lion's Den University Report today. Thank you very much. You have been listening to the Lion's Den University Report. If you would like more information about the Christian life or would like to contact the Lion's Den or one of the guests, please write us at the Lion's Den, Post Office Box 226, Mifflinburg, Pennsylvania, 17844, or email ltcldur at yahoo.com.